Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's psalm is number 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you, for you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made Yahweh your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Our hymn today is a hymn of the Lord's protection for his people. How he cares for them, provides for them, fights for them. We don't have any kind of an introduction, which is not common for the Psalms. Instead, we just jump right in. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So the immediate referent at the start is the man who has faith, the one who believes in God, the one who trusts in the Lord, the one who dwells in God's presence, the shelter of the Most High and the shelter of God. So it's picturing the Lord as being, you could say a house, a building, a structure, but you could also talk about a tree, and that would be biblical language as well. The seed, the mustard seed that grows into a tree and provides shelter to the birds and so forth. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It's a picture of protection. But... Also, perhaps a picture more than that, as we would look to Acts chapter 5, verse 15, the Apostle Peter, that the crowds were hoping to bring their sick to him, that even just his shadow might fall upon them and heal them. A healing shadow. I think we could talk of that with the Lord as well, that his shadow, the shadow of the Almighty, it, it actually does something to be in God's presence is to be his, is to be redeemed. We cannot come into the presence of God as sinful men and live, but that the Lord has healed us, that he has redeemed us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and so now we can come into the presence of God and live. I do think there's a connection there. So verse 1, highlighting 
certainly from the psalmist's perspective, God's protection. But I think healing also fits. Verse 2 continues the protection idea, my refuge and my fortress. Picturing God as a defensible fortress that one can hide in from the devastation of enemies that God would protect and care for. His people. My God in whom I trust. Trust and faith are really the same word. Uh, I mean, not, not literally, just like in English they're not, but the meaning behind them. To have faith is to trust in God's promises. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. A fowler, uh, one who seeks to trap a bird. There are enemies in this life that are trying to trap us. As Lutherans, we would typically describe that as threefold, sin, death, and the devil. The Lord delivers us from their traps. He rescues us from the temptations that we face each day. Now that could be a family conversation. What dangers do you face? It would be really difficult probably for the smallest of our children to answer, but even those that have started grade school uh, should be able to start to recognize those kinds of things. Maybe talk about what you're afraid of with, with children that are a little smaller because they can relate to that a little, a little bit more clearly. He will deliver you from the fowler and the deadly pestilence, disease, things that kill. So multiple types of enemies in that regard. He will cover you with his pinions. Pinions is a word I don't think we use all that often anymore. Um, it, if you look it up on a dictionary, you might even just see definitions like wing or feather, referring to a bird's wing. I think most specifically, uh, it would be the, the, the latter part of the wing. So as you see a bird's wing stretched out, there is a joint in the middle of that wing, and it would be beyond the joint, the part furthest away from its body. That would be the pinion. Under his wings you will find refuge. This is Matthew 23, Jesus desiring to have gathered the city of Jerusalem to himself, that he would have, as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings. So Jesus longed for the people of Jerusalem, but they would have nothing to do with him. Under God's wings, we find refuge, covered by his pinions. The tips of his wings wrap around us. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. I don't think any American hearer would have trouble understanding the word shield. A buckler, maybe. Uh, a buckler is basically what we would just consider a shield. Uh, a buckler is maybe a smaller shield that is worn on the arm. So we might consider it part of the, the group, a larger group. You have shields, and then bucklers are one kind of shield from our own understanding of things today. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. So four different classes of things that man would fear. The terror of the night. Who knows what the night will bring? There's a reason Luther's evening prayer ends by saying, Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. 
guard us in the night, O Lord, from enemies unseen to us. Terror of the night. Arrow that flies by day would be the enemy that attacks in daylight. Pestilence, stalking, and darkness. Disease is not visible to us. Right? I mean, I guess if a leper is coming, he'll, he'll be covering his mouth and saying, unclean, unclean. But for the most part, most illnesses are, are invisible to our naked eye. Right? You can't see the flu coming, but it comes. We don't know where we're going to find pneumonia unless we already know a person who has it. But these viruses, these illnesses, and so forth, they come. The destruction that wastes at noonday. That, I mean, that could be a reference to another physical attack, but it almost could be a reference to what was considered in the early days of the church as one of the seven deadly sins, something called acadia, A-C-E-D-I-A, which we might liken in English to the word apathy, uh, where you just lose your desire, you lose your, your care, you stop caring about the gifts God has given that he has entrusted to you. And noon, well, it's kind of a hard time for that. And you even hear this in our English language today, right? The idea that one of the toughest times to give a presentation is that window right after lunch. Or one of the hardest classes, if your children are in school, is the, the one right after lunch because we eat and then we're tired. That we would not serve our neighbor could be part of the picture here. But in, in whole, verses 5 and 6, we don't fear any of these things because God is with us. Verses 7 and 8 are going to really drive the, the context home a little bit better for us. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. An element here of the earthly promise God made to Israel. And this is, this is a genuine promise. God's people of old were told that if they kept his commandments, if they walked in his ways, he would give them the promised land and endure them in it forever. He would uphold them. He would keep them. But also that if they abandoned his ways, he would remove them from it. There's a reason why in Judges chapter 7, Gideon can take just 300 soldiers up against 135,000 Midianites and come away victorious and without casualty on God's side. None of those 300 died. In a military setting, that's an impossibility. That victory would be impossible, but not for the Lord. This literally happened for them at that point. They looked on and they saw the recompense of the wicked. They saw their enemy get what they deserve for their sin. This is similar to Exodus as well. The idea that as the ten plagues are unfolding in the land of Egypt, all of the Israelites were living in one community in a place called Goshen. In the midst of Egypt, yes, but while plagues 4 through 10 occurred, they only occurred in the parts of Egypt that weren't Goshen. So the whole nation of Egypt is hit by plague number 4, except the area where Israel lived. They could see the devastation around them, but it did not befall them. This is part of God's Old Testament working and promise for his people. Is it real for you? Yes and no. 
You don't have an earthly promise from the Lord in this way today. There is no earthly kingdom that Jesus Christ and his people inhabit. So that part of that isn't for us. However, does that make this untrue? Not at all. Take it to the day of judgment. Thousands will follow around you. Millions. Unfortunately, billions will follow around you. But it will not harm you. And you will see the recompense that will come upon the wicked as God gives them the desire of their hearts. Life without him. Existence apart from him. But you, because you have made Yahweh your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Again, the Old Testament promise that that was. And as God's people today, we have that in paradise. The new promised land that we look forward to. It's not to say God won't provide. It's not to say he doesn't still protect. We'll get to that by the end of the text here as well. It is simply to recognize a difference between a geographical kingdom and a kingdom that is not of this world. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Verses 11 and 12 get used in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for 40 days, 40 nights of fasting. The devil comes to him and tempts him, first getting him to seeking to get him to take a, a stone and turn it into bread. And Jesus tells him, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Uh, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. And then, the devil, the crafty serpent that he is, sees Jesus' response. He sees that Jesus responds to him using scripture. So what does the devil do? For his second temptation, he uses scripture. He takes Jesus up to the top of the temple and tells him to throw himself down from there because of Psalm 91 verse 11, God will command his angels. And Jesus responds that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan is a crafty enemy, which is spoken in Genesis 3 already. But he twists and perverts even scripture to use it against us. So when you see scripture being twisted and perverted, know the devil is at work. This could be a passage referenced for the idea of guardian angels, that God would use his angels to care for us. And he does. Other passages for that could include really the, the latter part of the book of Daniel, the final vision in Daniel, as Daniel is told by Jesus in chapters 10 through 12, that basically there are angels who oversee nations, kingdoms in this world. So there's a prince of Persia, that would be a demon. There's a prince of Greece, that would be a demon. But there's also Michael who sees and cares for the people of God in that vision and fights for them. 
Lastly, for a guardian angel idea, I'd point to Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. That's a threat from Jesus, to be quite frank. I tell you that in heaven there are angels. There are angels that God has assigned to care for us, to fight for us, and they typically dwell in the throne room of God. They dwell around the Lord. They're in his presence. They see the face of God the Father. And what can God the Father do? God the Father can send those angels to fight. So if you wrong God's children, you are risking the Lord sending one of his angels to destroy you. That's kind of the language of Matthew 18, verse 10, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So guardian angels, the Lord would use them to fight for, protect his people. This is again in in the context of the psalm, part of this Old Testament promise that God made to his people of how he would protect and provide for his holy nation. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and serpent you will trample underfoot. So an adder, a specific type of serpent. Genesis 3.15 comes to mind here of the promise of the Messiah who would crush the serpent's head. Definitely fitting, as we can see some of the language of this psalm reflected again in Jesus, even the last couple of verses being used against him in temptation. Jesus is the one who treads the enemy underfoot for us. Thanks be to God. He has done it. He has defeated Satan on the cross. Verse 14, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. When I, I will be with him in trouble, I will rescue him, honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Old Testament promise, certainly here. Again, if they are faithful to the Lord, if they know his name, if they call upon him, God rescues them and gives them long life. So you have the general idea that they would live in the promised land for their generations forever. But you also have even in the period of judges where they reject God, that when they repent, when they call upon him, when they seek him out, he rescues them. He delivers them from times of trouble. He grants them long life. They have years of peace. And and then they sin again and rebel against God and so forth. But also look at this in the, the larger light of our faith. He who holds fast to me in love, that is the Christian, I will deliver him, which he has done in Christ. I will protect him from sin, death, and the devil because he knows my name, the name Jesus. Matthew 1, because he will save his people from their sins. We know his name. We know what Jesus came to do. When he calls to me, I will answer him. Prayer. We pray, we confess our sins, we call out to the Lord for help, and he answers, he rescues, he redeems. And then he satisfies us with long life. Paradise. Shows us his salvation. That in Christ, we are his. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thanks be to God. This is most certainly true. 